0: Hi, everyone. My name is Stumble Siddiqui, mayor of Cambridge.
1: I'm Alana Mellon, vice mayor, and this is our semi-weekly, sometimes monthly podcast, Women Are Here. <laughs> Here?
0: Before last week, I think.
1: I know. My husband was like, gosh, you guys are getting right back on the bandwagon. I was yeah, like, we are. yeah, we are.
0: Well, PGIF, uh, it's snowing. It's beautiful.
1: I mean, I know it's only October, and it's super weird that it's snowing. It's so but
0: it's... weird. Climate change. <laughs>
1: I know I would, <laughs> my son this morning was like, it's October. I was like, is it, who knows what month it is? Nobody knows. <laughs> it's, like, it's like March thirty, the 32nd month of March, who knows?
0: Right, right. It's like, who knows? So what's one good thing that happened this week? Um,
1: hmm. Oh, um, I, I stopped by our favorite chocolate chip cookie store, Elmendorf Bakery. And bought a lot of cookies. And then I ate a lot of cookies. And that was a good thing.
0: Oh, that sounds amazing. I know.
1: I was like, just put like 10 or 20 in a box. (laughs) He was like, what?
0: (laughs) So I um, got done like fairly early yesterday, around eight. (laughs) And it was raining. Cats, you know, just raining so much. But I met up with my friend, Nina Berg, who I went to high school with. And we went to nakotako Taco and sat under their like tent, which is not heated, but like it was, it was really not heated. heated. It's not heated. Um the tent that area is not heated. There's no one else there, just me and her. And we're just like <laughs> laughing because like it's like literally monsooning outside, right? And we're like, wow, this is gonna be the new thing, you know.
1: <laughs> You're really embracing the like winter culture. You could be like Scandinavian pretty much. I had
0: a I had a hat on, like I, <laughs> the one thing missing was gloves. I think we both were like, Oh, we should have bought like gloves, but it was good. I was like, you know what? I could, I could deal with this rain and like, it's, it it was fine. But yeah. So that was one, one good thing that happened this week. some, some late kind of late dinner and uh, still got to help a small business.
1: (laughs) I mean, it's just so important to keep up that like social connection in a safe way. So good for you. Like you probably guys probably laughed. You probably like,
0: Right, we were like, look at these weirdos eating indoors. <laughs> like, we're going to be outdoors forever. <laughs> forever. <laughs> I, mean, I just can't, I don't get the indoor dining, but anyway.
1: You're going to invest in your like restaurant sleeping bag where you like bring it and you like snuggle up into it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> anyway. You see it. Anyway.
1: All right, well, so today is Friday. It is snowing. It is also the last day of early voting um that is really exciting but everybody if you are made your plan to vote to vote in person early uh, all the polls close today at five o'clock um those places are water the water department the valente library and the longfellow school and i just wanted to give everybody some updates stats like how many cambridge voters have voted early so according to the election commission more than eleven thousand people had voted at early polling places as of this past wednesday Um, and 34,000 mail-in ballots would had also been returned. So that's approximately, there's about 73,000 registered voters in Cambridge, which means that over 60% have already voted, which is crazy. So um, that's exciting. Good job, Cambridge. Um, But I also wanted to say that the recommended uh, U.S. Postal Service deadline to mail your mail-in ballots was this past Wednesday. So you have those ballots drop them in one of the six drop boxes located around the city they are locked now at 8 p.m um due to the fire uh that in happened in boston at copley square and they open back up at 7 a.m da- daily so those locations are at the moore school the o'neill library 51 inman street police headquarters the maria baldwin school mariah baldwin school and uh the back door at city hall so don't put those ballots in the mail put them in one of the drop boxes, make sure that your vote is counted on Tuesday, November 3rd.
0: Yes, I'm taking my mom right after this uh, to the volunteer library, uh, nice. I'm gonna vote, I won't vote, I like, I'm gonna vote on the third, but um, where my polling location is at the Morse, uh, but I wanna take my mom today just to, to be with her. And
1: So you're gonna make, go today with your mom?
0: Make sure she does it right. <laughs> but then you're not gonna vote? I'm not gonna vote, no. I'm gonna vote Tuesday. I have a thing about it. It's like a weird thing. I'm like, no, I have to vote on going day. Otherwise it <laughs> might not count. <laughs> no, no, it's not that. I just, I have this weird thing, but um, I just wanna go on the, that day too, just to say hi to the poll workers yeah. and, and, and folks and just, you know, let's win this, <laughs> be optimistic.
1: Yeah, so you and I speaking of election day will be at uh, the CRLS location. Hanging out, holding signs. Uh, so stop by. People are around. We will be there uh, in the afternoon.
0: Ah, uh, so that's the voting update. Go vote. Um, we have a COVID update. So uh, fortunately, 129 cities and towns are now in the red category, which is you know eight cases per hundred thousand um, per day for a 14-day rolling average. So that's that's. You know, it's 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 unfortunate that that that, that we're seeing this uptick. Um, but we in Cambridge were also it's been a rough um, kind of rough few weeks. We Alana and I always text at night. We're like, Oof, four cases, phew. Or then it's like fourteen cases. It's just fluctuated. There's been some very high days. Fourteen on Sunday. A few days of ten cases. So we were yellow um, because of all that. Um, we're now a lower risk green community. But again, we are fluctuating. Uh, and uh, it, it, this can change. So it's really important to be v- vigilant right now.
1: Yes, be vigilant. I know everybody's thinking about Thanksgiving that's coming up in a few weeks and wondering how to have Thanksgiving safely. And um,
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> I it's I was listening to a NPR report this morning about how Canadian Thanksgiving actually has caused a tremendous amount of new cases, um, because theirs is in October. Um, Mm. So they are seeing a lot of a huge uptick in Canada based on Canadian Thanksgiving, and that it's a big warning for the United States that, you know, as much as we would like to get together and have Thanksgiving with our families, um, over 50% of new transmissions here in Massachusetts are household based. So Turkey, uh, next year, but this year, um, try to make sure you, you know, are being safe, wearing those masks, uh, and just being with your, your family inside your house. Um, okay. So that's the COVID update. We also don't have testing tomorrow, uh, Saturday, um, October 31st, but starting next week, we will start having, uh, testing twice a week again. Um, and tumble, do you have a, an update on a third day of the week? I know that that was something that you've been so
0: pushing for. There is an update coming. Um, and I guess we could share it here now because it will be shared shortly, but we will be, I think, getting to testing seven days a week. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So that's the new update. I will say more about that once there's like a release, but we are going to be really pushing. Um, I know we had asked for like at least one more day, but I think the city does understand how critical it is. So we're going to have seven locations. We're going to do testing seven days a week.
1: That's great. I know that um, it has been a huge push in the community to have more readily available testing. And I I, I saw that Boston yesterday. Mayor Walsh was encouraging every single city employee um, to to go and get tested once a week. That that you know the city will be paying for them to go. You know they don't have to take any time off to do that. So I think if uh, Seven days a week, I look forward to that update. I think that's amazing. Okay, so the city council meeting on Monday night, we had a few updates, a few big things that happened. The first thing that happened was um, on Monday night, we voted to appropriate about a million dollars uh, from free cash to purchase a records management system for the police department, which will help the police department create a public facing dashboard that can be used to determine racial bias and in police interactions. So since 2018, this has been a priority of the police commissioner and the police department. And I have been one of its strongest supporters helping to usher it through the various stages and pushing it to really make it a reality. Uh, This project hit a number of snags since then, not least of which was that a new records management system uh, needed to be procured and it needed to be able to process all that new data. Our last records management system was over 20 years old and had outlived its useful life. So this appropriation, was one of the last steps to get this over the finish line and start that implementation. So really this new system is going to be set up to help promote transparency and accountability in policing uh, because it has the technical capability to really capture data on if and where bias may exist within the police department and provide kind of an automatic statistical analysis of traffic stops, behavioral crises, and eventually we learned Monday night of use of force incidents. So this public the public will be able to view that data in real time on an a, on an aggregate basis it doesn't drill down to you know individual officer interactions but that that more detailed data is going to be available uh, to be drilled down to the officer level for police leadership uh, to be able to determine who needs more training where problem areas may exist to address those issues the police commissioner said that we're uh, about eight to ten months away from seeing this fully implemented um, and I I you know I just I really think that there's such a need for that transparency and accountability and policing sort of now more than ever all, with everything that has been brought up over the summer um, with the Black Lives Matter movement, the murder of George Floyd and the many, many other um, murders at the hands of police, of, um, of Black individuals. We really need this transparency and accountability, especially as we start to reimagine public safety. Uh, this dashboard means a real commitment towards that publicly accountable policing that uses that data-driven approach. So I'm excited to see this moving forward in a meaningful way. Um, I, it was a long ways to get here, uh, but here we yeah. are. I'm hoping that uh, eight to ten months from now, we will be looking at this really great dashboard um, that will really help us move and in, um, into that real transparency.
0: Yeah, we've been, I think, even though I think someone mentioned this, it's like, wait, an update last time on this being moved forward, but as we've seen, there's just so many different steps and a lot of kinks that have been worked out to, to get to this point. So um, I, w- I look forward to that. I think there's been just so much even recently with everything happening with Walter Wall, um, you know, Wallace Jr. in Philadelphia, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. there's just it, it, like, and and the, the role of the police. And so anything we can do to um, re- increase accountability uh, increased t- transparency is really critical. Uh, so happy to see it move forward. Uh, what else on Tuesday? So our meeting on Monday, actually, we were done before nine. Uh, it was a miracle.
1: <laughs> it was really kind of wild to be like at my house with my family uh, before 11 o'clock. Um, mm-hmm. There were a couple big items that got um, cheddar, written. cheddar written, uh Councilor Simmons exercised her charter right on campaign finance reform and- Tear gas, tear gas. And banning tear gas, and ordinance to ban tear gas. So those items will move to Monday night. We will have more of an update after that meeting to let you know how those went down. But for the most part, most part it was a pretty tame meeting in terms of um, you know the items that were brought up for appropriation. And then there were some report backs uh, from previous items.
0: Yeah. Yeah. On Tuesday, I, um, we, the school committee had a round table meeting with principals of all our elementary schools. And we heard a presentation provided by the uh, the administration and, and some of the, the, some of the principals. And we learned a lot about, we learned that, you know, while students are benefiting from in-person education, uh, there's, there's struggle, right? There's, um, there's time management and feeling uh, the educators feeling spread thin due to staffing challenges. Uh, but it was really important to hear about some of the successes and challenges. Uh, you know, some of the successes have have been um, the COVID-19 testing. Uh, there's mm-hmm. been about 1,600 COVID tests that have been completed. Um, 25, uh, 28 have been for symptomatic students, and none of them have come back positive. So we're doing pretty well in the schools. Um, and uh, I think from that vantage point, it's a, the schools are a safe place to be. Um, we have to, I think, further analyze that data. data. There was a building and ground subcommittee hearing today about the metrics and testing data. And so there's just some more information to figure out, but um, the nursing aides have been doing a, a great job. Uh, there's, You know a lot of uh, you know good feedback around all the PP the school has schools have Uh, our schools have some schools have really been using the outdoor spaces Um, the the meals process for in person students has been going well and as you know the grab and go lunch uh, for remote students um, has been going well and so you know it was good to hear about that I think the challenges um, as I've mentioned. you know, there are loud, some of the buildings use these air scrubbers. And I've been in the room uh, when we are t- touring the building. These are loud. And so how do we make sure that, you know, that we can, the, the teachers know that uh, they can turn the settings down and, you know, how do we help them get the amplifiers that they may need? Um, so there's been, you know, issues also with the, the colder weather coming up um, and how are we going to use the outdoors? And so you and I have both talked about this but like how do we get creative here you know that we're using restaurants for we're using um, patio heaters uh, as we heard last week for the restaurants so how do we can we use that here um, in some ways as you know even to create opportunities for older kids to come back um, and do these have some socially distant gatherings so Uh, it was, you know, I think everyone is working really hard, uh, and, but I think the consensus is, you know, we want schools to open and we want to open to more kids. Uh, we, we've also been talking about, uh, some of the current data that's been showing about the enrollment decline. So Mm -hmm. 402 students this year have, um, been taken out, um, or, you know, have decided to go elsewhere, um. And this decline is the first since 2006, 2007 uh, and and 13 consecutive years of enrollment growth. And so prior to the pandemic enrollment had been projected to increase by approximately two and a half percent.
1: So, yeah, I was interested in that data because it feels like some schools have more Mm -hmm. um, students that have left than others. And so seeing that school by school would be really interesting. I did watch the, the round table and I really felt for a lot of the principals who looked like they had just been, um, you know, mm-hmm. running, running straight out since, you know, probably since March. But um, the, it seems like the one of the most significant challenges has been that additional staffing. Um, I think Principal Beggy, who is, uh, used to be at the Moore School and now she's covering for Jen Ford at the Peabody School, talking about how she had to fill 19 positions oh, yeah. mm-hmm. in the last month. Um, in that just she said, for example, just for um comparison, in the last five years that I was at Morse, I hired nineteen staff members, yeah, so she 's like, I spend three hours of my day um just hiring staff members, so as a principal, as somebody who's coming in and filling in, i mean i can 't imagine how hard that is um and we you know i I'm so glad that um you um and you know, some others, myself included, really pushed to make sure that there was on-site testing for teachers. Mm-hmm. I think it has made a huge difference, um, especially just in that peace of mind. Um, you know, I have seen some teachers and staff members post on Facebook like, "Oh, I got tested yesterday, and I got my, I got my results back in less than twelve hours," and that just—it's just you know, a little bit, just a little bit of a health and safety peace of mind for those folks. And then, in terms of students having symptomatic testing you know, it, it's really hard when you're, when you're symptomatic and you just have to try to figure it out on your own, like where to go. Right. Like I know people that have gone to 12 different care wells to try to right. get a test. So, you know, finding a test for some of these kids, um, might prove to be very difficult. And the the idea is to keep these kids in the classroom, you know, as long as you can. So yeah, it, oh man, I really like yeah. felt for each and one of each and every one of those principals and just knowing each and every one of those staff members and their challenges that, um, they're facing right now so as we've always said this is there's no good answer here there's no mm-hmm. no one's doing this and killing it so um
0: yeah I mean and another testing piece you know you and I I remember we had a meeting with like all these people in like June right June. To really yeah talk about testing. so it took a it, you know people I don't say it I can't don't say in the meetings like oh you know this this took months and months but like it it was you know it, it it took a while, um but we had been talking about it for a long time.
1: It was definitely not an easy lift um for sure, yeah, uh, but we did we had all the pieces to do it. It just was trying to make sure that everybody
0: the will and you know the connecting the dots, and you know, the cph Tracy and others are doing a great job and all, and I think this is why we wanted it, <laughs> right, uh, and we have the resources, so um yeah, so i I actually gave uh, some Peabody third graders uh, who, some who are in person, some in remote, they uh, kind of did a joint, uh, you know, I, we've talked about this. Some schools are figuring out ways to do it simultaneously. Um, and I gave them a tour of my, uh, the office. Uh, in uh, today in the morning and it was so cute they were so excited they I was <laughs> I was like this is this is our lockers and this is this this is where I sit. <laughs> like it was hilarious and then they had so many questions they're like what do you do for fun and I was like mm, what do I do for fun like I had to like not like, I didn't say I didn't say watch TV but um <laughs> I was like you know I I hike <laughs> I do hike here and there <laughs>
1: I, eat, I eat donuts
0: eat donuts cry anyway um that's so cute
1: that's so cute
0: it was so cute yeah and then we had a housing committee hearing on tuesday
1: yeah so actually last week was this week whatever whatever we're talking about this week was very busy we had a lot of committee hearings um we met to discuss legal protections and other strategies to prevent the displacement of cambridge tenants during the pandemic um, you know, so the statewide eviction moratorium ended on the 17th, but the Cambridge Moratorium eviction moratorium is still in place. So there was a lot of conversation about um, the resources that are available, who's doing the work, um, how tenants might or might not be affected. And I think your big thing was, you know, we really need to talk to these landlords to make sure Um, people aren't even being served an eviction notice because our eviction moratorium simply means that a constable cannot remove you from your home but it doesn't mean that a landlord can't process that eviction which can stay on your record for a long time and affect things like you getting a job and getting a you know a mortgage or um there's there's a lot of financial implications that an an eviction can have on your record that we are really trying to avoid right now um The other thing that I think we need to be doing a much better job at is trying to let people know that the Cambridge eviction moratorium is still in place. Um, And, you know, there have been, there was a letter or an email that went out to all property owners, um, and there is supposed to be a postcard that is being sent out to property owners. But I I really think we need to be doing a better job uh, with some social media, um, using all of the different ways that we can can get the information out to Cambridge renters that you know you cannot be forcibly removed from your home during um, the course of the pandemic and under the Cambridge moratorium. So um, we have an order in on Monday night asking the city to ramp up a communication strategy to renters um, and using social media, using family liaisons at the school department, like all the ways to get the information out. And I actually have a little social media. Um, challenge that I'm going to be starting today um, that will hopefully be trying to get some of the information out just, uh, you know, among the social channels. So watch out for that symbol. I'm going to make you go along with the challenge um, and, and share it on social media. I think you'll
0: like it. Awesome. I look forward to it. I, we also have been talking about collecting eviction data um, you know, I had put in a lot of orders last year around car evictions and how we're collecting it. And, uh, you know, we've put an order for this week as well um, on how to collect uh, data moving forward and from the last two years, because we have current data through 2017 about, you know, which landlord companies file the most, um, what kind of typical arrearages look like, Uh, and it's kind of tedious work and it's all publicly available uh, through the mass court system, uh, but someone really has to go through them. And so um, we want to be using that data uh, to um, prevent eviction filings and pinpoint uh, those who have filed numerous evictions and then work with them um, so we can lead, you know, come up with solutions that are beneficial to both parties in some cases, there's no solution. And the solution is to file the eviction filing because whether it's for something that's being done illegally, um, there's, there's a myriad of reasons, but most of the cases that are filed are for non-payment or rent. And so that you can really figure out um, how to target. And the Cambridge Housing Authority has done that. Um, I had talked to Mike Johnston, the executive director last term and said, look, there's a really great report on eviction filings and the impact they have. Uh, And, you know, he took that to heart and they at CHA have come up with like an eviction prevention project. And they realized, look, we're filing these evictions, it's expensive. It's much better to work. And, you know, they're gonna have social workers, whole thing um, and work with the city. And so we need to see more of that and we need to, to really play an active role.
1: Yeah, I was excited to see that coming forward, and I wondered if it came from your tenant displacement task force work or if it was just outside yeah. of that. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: it, it, it was mentioned in the report um, to do th- this type of work, and so um, it's something that I've been, you know, wanting to push. And now that we're in this stage, I think it's the prime time to um, to to look at what's happening. You know, as we heard from some of the experts on the call that Tuesday the housing experts and the legal service providers that really the next month we'll be able to, t- we'll be able to see who's filing, why they're filing and how to, how to act. And obviously with all the information beforehand that we're doing now, it's really to make sure that they're not doing that. Um, so we got to really figure out um, this communications piece and, and step it up.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I, um, I was just thinking about a woman that I worked with prior to the pandemic where she had put her check in the mail to the Cambridge, um housing authority it didn't get to them um and then she was served with an eviction notice you know she's lived there for like 27 years she's like I've never missed my rent and she gets served with an eviction notice um or, or not an eviction notice a letter from CHA like we're going to evict you and mm. she was like why wouldn't somebody just call me you know what I mean like you know they they send these automatic sort of letters out that are very like you know, it's, it's hard to read a letter like that when you're like, well, oh, I put it in the mail. Like there are ways that, you know, the housing authority and landlords can be working with tenants. You know, I feel like in a more, um, then more of a partnership, uh, to avoid some of this, like evictions and, um, you know, these panic and anxiety of getting these letters. So yeah. Okay. So what else, what else, what else feels like it was a busy week
0: uh, some big, big news, um, the Cambridge Community Foundation and the city of Cambridge, we we've worked together to launch a new cultural capital fund with grant funding of over 600,000 um, to address needs in the local arts and cultural sector due to the COVID-19 health uh, crisis. This is something you and I have both have been working hard on behind the scenes. Um, we've allocated half a million dollars from the mayor's disaster relief fund to provide grants to local organizations of up to $25,000 for capital improvements necessary uh, due to COVID-19 and um, up to $10,000 for operations and programming during the COVID-19 health crisis. through so this fund, the Cambridge Community Foundation um, will has begun accepting applications from organizations on the 28th and accepts, expects to uh, distribute first round grants, by uh, mid to late November, um, and just as as you know, there's I've you know spent time with a few others fundraising uh, behind the scenes for for the fund. Um, and this particular donation, um, five half a million came from one donor, um, and he you know was very gracious to say you know you can use it for this primary purpose, and so we're happy to have that, um, to, to, to do that, so. Yeah,
1: that was um, that was some good news this week. I know it's always so, it's sort of a little anticlimactic to me working on something for like five months and then it finally happens and you're like, okay. <laughs> but yeah, it's really exciting to think that um, first of all the city has invested now um, through this donation into our arts and culture sector in a meaningful way um, but also with partnering with Cambridge Community Foundation and their commitment to match that half a million dollars so that the fund will uh, be a million dollars to really address the arts organizations through the COVID pandemic. But the Cultural Capital Fund is actually envisioned to be a long-term strategy to support arts and culture here in Cambridge, which has not existed in the past. Um, we were always very, very reactive when things happened to our arts and culture sector. Um, and this is going to allow us to be proactive and to really in, inject the amount of funding into the this, this sector of our economy that actually brings in a ton of jobs, brings in a ton of money into our local economy, um, and really it nurtures in, in, um, you know, this creative side of all of us and it allows us to experience art right here in the city we live in. So you know, it's an exciting partnership and it's exciting to think about really supporting the arts in a long-term way. Um, you know, it's something that we talked about in the arts task force, the executive director was on, was a member of the arts task force and really talking about how we needed this long-term fund that, um, you know, we're really envisioning as, you know, a $5 million fund over the next, you know, five to 10 years. So that's exciting to think about. It's exciting to think that the city has um, played such a major role in developing this fund and, and getting it rolling. The um, the community foundation has already received a, a, a hundred thousand dollar grant from the Wagner Foundation. So it's already attracting other foundation money. And I, I just am excited to see where this goes. And I, I know that our arts organizations right now are so hurting for um, program, you know, capacity funding, but also the that capital investment that you mentioned, you know, people who are gonna have to update their HVACs or their bathrooms or um, you know, their ventilation systems or you know, providing different means of egress in, in and out of their buildings, there's gonna be a lot to do um, to make sure that these larger art spaces are ready uh, to handle, uh, you know, art goers and theater goers. Once um, we find a vaccine, there there's always gonna be this need to have this additional ventilation and and uh, other health and safety factors for these larger spaces, you know, cause this, this isn't the last pandemic um,
0: that we're going to be enduring. So, that was unfortunately,
1: yeah, that was big news. Thank you for your work on
0: that. <laughs> ditto, ditto, ditto. Uh, what else? We had um, an. Uh, I mean, this is just to capture some of the meetings we both have had. There was a lot uh, of other um, things happening. We had that same night a real estate transfer fee hearing um, in ordinance committee.
1: Yeah. So that was. um, And it was an interesting conversation. So just for you listeners, a real estate transfer tax is kind of exactly what it sounds like, a tax that's paid when a property changes hands. Both residential and commercial properties can be considered for this type of tax. This is something that's been coming up for a long time. I think people mentioned it on uh, Wednesday night that Tim Chumi has been talking about this for a long time. We've never really had actual language in front of us. Um, And this isn't just a Cambridge idea. Uh, Boston, Somerville, Brookline, Nantucket, Provincetown, and Concord have already submitted their own home rule petitions for real estate transfer tax. So again, a home rule petition is um, you appeal to the state legislature to do something that is not currently allowed by the state legislature. It's so that you can do it in your own home city or town, um, and it's different than the rest of the state. So all of those towns and cities have already put in their home rule petitions for a real estate transfer tax. They're not all the same. Everyone's doing it a little bit differently. So we're trying to figure out um, how to get one in front of the legislature starting in January, uh, which is the next legislative session. So really, um, we did, you know, it was kind of a wide-ranging conversation with the assessing department, but I think there's more there's more work to be done on on how we really want to be presenting the language to the legislatures. What we talked about was um, a 1% tax um, on any uh, property transfer. And there's a question of like, do we do it on property that are over a million dollars, over $2 million? Do we exempt uh, elderly residents, first time home buyers, uh, you know, residents who claim a, a, a residential tax exemption? Uh, There's a lot of things to be thinking about as we really like put this um, home rule petition together to the legislature. There's a lot of things to um, really think about. So what we asked the assessing department was to come back with a couple of different scenarios of language and what we could do. So um, hopefully we will have that in front of us. I think the idea is to have that pretty quickly and then vote on something and have it to the legislature very early in the next session. So that's kind of the news there. Um,
0: and one of the things that I had suggested was uh, and this is what the assessor is going to look at is I am curious on the you know when we talk about one million to two million like the, the folks buying the over one million properties like are they individuals are they like LLCs right, right. Um, you know because there we do have a proliferation of there's a lot of LLCs and sometimes you know, those are family, there's like family um, real estate investment trusts, and it's all kind of confusing. So she's going to do some con- analysis around that as well. Yeah.
1: Gail Willett, who is our assessor, I think she was really excited when she, she was like, yeah. oh, that's data I could dig into. I really like her a lot. I think she's, um, she's very easy to work with. She's very, um, she kind of thinks out of the box. I really, I've been really appreciative of her. She, we don't get to see her at council very often. The assessing department doesn't really come mm-hmm. before us very often, but she's great. I thought another theme that came up, I think um, both you and counselor Sabrina Wheeler b- brought it up beautifully to talk about like, you know, we we're sitting in here throwing around numbers, like 1 million, 2 million for so many people, a million dollars, a million dollars worth of property is so much money. Why would we exempt this? Um, You know, why would we not do a million dollar floor? Why are we going up to 2 million? Um, And it just, it does underscore the level of property value here. That's just so wild, right? Like, you know, a three bedroom condo is, you know, is over a million. It's well over a million. So you know i think in uh, other cities and towns a million dollars would get you quite a lot of property um and so thank so i i just wanted to appreciate both you and uh, Councillor sabrina willer for kind of bringing us back down to earth and really kind of grounding us in this look <laughs> this real estate <laughs> transfer attacks like it's for affordable housing um it is to create and upkeep affordable housing it would go into the affordable housing trust so everybody, you know, try to remember what the goal is here and, and what we're talking about. Um, one of the things I thought was really interesting that came up was, um, you know, I, I'm trying to remember how, what the amount of money was. I think it was like almost 18 million a year. And that's if we had the $2 million minimum. So it would certainly be higher if we went to 1 million, but um you know, that's $18 million that would go into the Affordable Housing Trust. And the question was, does, do we just use that to, you know, create more affordable housing? Or is there a way to think about those like we do with our Community Preservation Act funding? And say like 80% of it goes to affordable housing, 20% goes to um, Section 8 gap vouchers, right? So, um, you know, is there ways to play with that funding that it isn't all going into affordable creation of affordable housing but actually gets to that goal too because a lot of times people have section eight vouchers and they can't use them here right because they have a $2,700 a month voucher and everything here is over $3,000 so would there be funding that we could say that $300 comes from this Mm -hmm. fund right so there has always been an appetite to have those section eight gap vouchers but there has never been a consistent funding stream so kind of thinking about that funding stream and being flexible, like our CPA funds, like 80% yep. of it goes to affordable housing, 10% for historic preservation, 10% for open space. And then every year the city council um, mm-hmm. votes on those percentages. I, th- I just thought that was a really interesting way to think about that funding stream.
0: Absolutely, yeah, that was a good point. Um, were there any other meetings we had in the ordinance? I think that was it.
1: I think that was it, but uh, yeah. So stay tuned on that transfer tax. I, hopefully, we'll have another ordinance mm-hmm, committee mm-hmm. hearing soon. Okay. So news updates tomorrow is Halloween.
0: Halloween. Halloween. Well, um can I just say, like, I we went, you know we went to go see Hocus Pocus last Sunday. Um, and at you the what? Drive-in. We went to go see Hocus Pocus. Oh, at the <laughs> drive-in. Um, and. I think I texted you a picture. The the thing came down. The whole whole screen. The screen? Yeah, the whole thing came down at Suffolk Downs and we got our money back but like literally it was a drive-in at Suffolk Downs and they had this whole inflatable screen. Was it really windy or something? It was windy. It was so sad. It was like peak 2020, you know. <laughs> anyway, speaking of Halloween, that's one of my favorite Halloween movies. But yeah, it, it is Halloween. What are you doing? Uh, well, so
1: tonight is in Menween which mm. is usually like my favorite, like a neighborhood holiday Halloween thing where you like go around to all the stores and get candy. And there's like always fun stuff to do, but this year it's virtual. virtual. So, virtual. so the East Cambridge Business Association and the Emmons Square Business Association have partnered with the Brattle Theater um, to do like a, remember when we partnered with them on the dinner and a movie night? So they're, yeah, they're actually, they're, I think they're actually it's three o'clock they have put out the movies now the ones that they're recommending and why and they've filmed a little video um so I'm going to be checking out one of those movies and um partnering it with a you know a pick it up Cambridge you know local restaurant dinner um that's what we're doing tonight to celebrate in menween at our house virtually yeah Which, Um,
0: which, which um place for dinner
1: I don't know. We haven't decided yet. I have to say that I've had the most delicious dinner from Craigie on Main last night. Oh. So good. It was
0: like... You a... went?
1: No. For takeout. It was like a whole chicken with like these fries and um, a side. It was the most delicious chicken I've ever had. So good. So good. So good.
0: Oh, I'm telling you. Wow.
1: Um, but for tonight, I'm not sure. Um, and then... Hmm. Mm, so... I think the city of Cambridge, sadly, has, you know, advised that folks don't do uh, door-to-door trick-or-treating, but rather get together and in smaller groups outside in a safe way, distanced. Um, and, you know, I'm fully expecting that we will have some trick-or-treaters come to our door, but um, we're asking that, you know, during the time of COVID that you you focus on, you know, safer, Activities to do on Halloween and not go trick or treating door to door. Although it breaks my heart, it's like my favorite holiday.
0: Yeah, I guess I never grew up going trick or treating, so I'm like, oh, it's another end of the day. But it is. <laughs> I, I I feel for the children, and and you know, I know
1: they have nothing right now. Everything's sad.
0: Yeah, yeah everything's sad. Everything's yeah. sad. What else? Um, go TV this weekend.
1: Yes, so we're both going to New Hampshire. I hear I'm going to Manchester. On Sunday,
0: exeter myself on Sunday. Um, we should have
1: like a little contest, like who can mm-hmm. do the most doors. Yeah,
0: Are you game? Are you down? I'm game. I'm game. Cause I'll win. Okay. Yeah, game. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know I get the, you know I get the <laughs> That's
1: true. I know, but that we're talking Cambridge. Like you can you can knock like a hundred doors in twenty minutes here in Cambridge.
0: That is so true. Oh yeah, well, we should do it. We should figure something out, yeah. That's great.
1: Well, we'll be in constant contact on Sunday. I'll be telling you how many doors I hit.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I gotta bring my sneakers. Um, two things I had to uh, update y'all, invite y'all to is uh, we are having a screening of uh, the RBG documentary um, at this time. Uh, to give some hope, even though that's, I know that's hard, Um, partnering with the Women's Commission and BK um, on Sunday at seven. So if you'd like to join, um, please come, it'll be fun. Hopefully the weather, I think the weather right now is maybe rain, but like, you know, that, that tends to change. So, uh, you know, if the weather is clear, we'd love for you to join us at the screening. I love this this documentary it, it's going to probably make me more sad because of right. what who was at the court but I think we just have to like live up her legacy and try to keep keep hopeful um, I just saw the best
1: I, I just saw the best sign on Fresh Pond Parkway which was um, it was just the the um, like a graphic of her descent Mm-hmm. what do they call those things I forget what like the necklace her descent necklace that she wore over her robe. it yeah. said vote and then it said and tell them Ruth sent you and I was like yes I love that yeah. sign I yeah. wanted to I wanted to take a picture of it but I was
0: yeah so just some hope before election day you know doors open at seven the movie will start at 7 30 it's a short little documentary um you know bring a blanket and bring a snack um yeah join us so that's happening and then I wanted to put a call out to any um fifth fourth and seventh, fifth graders uh, to join uh the elevate program that my office has been um, sponsoring in conjunction with workforce uh, we're extending that through November um it's going to start a little bit earlier um, at Dunhee Park on Mondays and Wednesdays um, from like 2 30 to 4 30. Uh, so please, if you know a fourth grader, fifth grader, um, there are spots. I actually went uh, on Wednesday, it was rainy and like hung out with um, some of the, 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 the kids and they were just so cute. They were just like hands-on building thing, like building ropes and outside, we built, they built a shelter um, through tarp. Um, They learned how to tie this a rope. Don't even know how to do that. You know, I was like, I can't do this. Um, So definitely, if you know any fourth or fifth graders, please contact me. And what is your email address, Mayor Siddiqui? Oh yeah, it's you can just use my um, government account. It's s s i d d i q u i at cambridgema.gov.
1: And also, I think if you email Mayor at cambridgema.gov it gets to you too right yes
0: or mayor at cambridgema.gov or instagram me at mayor siddiqui um and or at twitter at mayor siddiqui and your stuff is
1: um on twitter i'm a m m a l l o n so follow me um tweet at me uh let us know if you have any questions um about this podcast you want answered you want to talk to us about we'd be happy to hear from you i think on facebook and instagram i'm counselor alana mallon (laughs) (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um yeah so all right this was fun thanks for joining us uh happy halloween everyone get out that vote make phone calls go to new hampshire Write those postcards, but make sure that you um, call all your family and friends and get them to the polls. It's going to take each and every one of us to get Joe Biden and Kamala Harris elected on November 3rd.
0: Yes, it's all about civic engagement. Your voice, your vote is your power and you have to go do it.
1: All right, well, go take your mom
0: to the polls. Have a
1: great- Have a great weekend,
0: everybody. Happy Halloween.
1: And we will talk to you next week.
0: Bye.